Chapter 7 of The Clue of the Twisted Candle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason Oakley. The Clue of the Twisted Candle by Edgar Wallace. Chapter 7. TX came from Downing Street at eleven o'clock one night, and his heart was filled with joy and gratitude. He swung his stick to the common danger of the public, but the policeman on point duty at the end of the street, who saw him, recognised and saluted him, did not think it fit to issue any official warning. He ran up the stairs to his office, and found Mansus reading the evening paper. "'My poor dumb beast,' said TX, "'I'm afraid I have kept you waiting for a very long time, but tomorrow you and I will take a little journey to Devonshire. It'll be good for you, Mansus. Where did you get that ridiculous name, by the way?' "'M or N,' replied Mansus laconically. "'I repeat that there is the dawn of an intellect in you,' said TX offensively. He became more serious as he took from a pocket inside his waistcoat a long blue envelope containing the paper which had cost him so much to secure. "'Finding the revolver was a masterstroke of yours, Mansus,' he said, as he was in earnest as he spoke. The man coloured with pleasure, for the subordinates of TX loved him, and a word of praise was almost equal to promotion. It was on the advice of Mansus that the road from London to Lewes had been carefully covered, and such streams as passed beneath that road had been searched. The revolver had been found after a third attempt between Gatwick and Horsley. Its identification was made easier by the fact that Vassalaro's name was engraved on the butt. It was rather an ornate affair, and in its earlier days had been silver-plated. The handle was mother-o'-pearl. Obviously the gift of one brigand to another, was TX's comment. Armed with this, his task would have been fairly easy, but when to this evidence he added a rough draft of the threatening letter which he had found amongst Vassalero's belongings, and which had evidently been taken down in dictation, some of the words were misspelt and been corrected by another hand. The case was complete. But what clenched the matter was the finding of a wad of that peculiar chemical paper, a number of sheets of which TX had ignited for the information of Chief Commissioner and the Home Secretary by simply exposing them for a few seconds to the light of an electric lamp. Instantly it had filled the Home Secretary's office with a pungent and most disagreeable smoke, for which he was heartily cursed by his superiors, but it had rounded off the argument. He looked at his watch. "'I wonder if it's too late to see Mrs. Lexman,' he said. "'I don't think any hour would be too late,' suggested Mansus. "'You shall come and chaperone me,' said his superior. But a disappointment awaited. Mrs. Lexman was not in, and neither the ringing at her electric bell nor vigorous applications to the knocker brought any response. The hall-porter of the flats where she lived was under the impression that Mrs. Lexman had gone out of town. She frequently went out on Saturdays and returned on the Monday, and, he thought, occasionally on Tuesdays. It happened that this particular night was a Monday night, and TX was faced with a dilemma. The night-porter, who had only the vaguest information on the subject, thought that the day-porter might know more, and aroused him from his sleep. Yes, Mrs. Lexman had gone. She went on the Sunday, an unusual day to pay a weekend visit, and had taken with her two bags. The porter ventured the opinion that she was rather excited, but when asked to define the symptoms, relapsed into a chaos of incoherence, you knows, and what I means. I don't like this, said TX suddenly. Does anybody know that we have made these discoveries? Nobody outside the office, said Mansus, unless, unless, 
Unless what? asked the other irritably. Don't be a jimp, Mansus. Get it off your mind. What is it? I am wondering, said Mansus slowly, if the landlord at Great James Street said anything. He knows we have made a search. We can easily find that out, said T.X. They hailed a taxi and drove to Great James Street. That respectable thoroughfare was wrapped in sleep, and it was some time before the landlord could be aroused. Recognising T.X., he checked his sarcasm, which he had prepared for a keyless lodger, and led the way into the drawing-room. "'You didn't tell me not to speak about it, Mr. Meredith,' he said, in an aggrieved tone, "'and as a matter of fact, I have spoken to nobody except the gentleman who called the same day.' "'What did he want?' asked T.X. "'He said he had only just discovered that Mr. Vassalaro had stayed with me, and he wanted to pay whatever rent was due,' replied the other." "'What like of man was he?' asked T.X. The brief description the man gave sent a cold chill to the Commissioner's heart. "'Cara for a Jew-cat,' he said, and swore long and variously. "'Cadogan Square!' he ordered. His ring was answered promptly. Mr. Cara was out of town, had indeed been out of town since Saturday. This much the manservant explained with a suspicious eye upon his visitors remembering that his predecessor had lost his job from a too confining friendliness with spurious electrical fitters. He did not know when Mr. Carr would return. Perhaps it would be a long time, and perhaps a short time. He might come back that night, or he might not. "'You're wasting your young life,' said T.X. bitterly. "'You ought to be a fortune-teller.' "'This settles the matter,' he said in the cab on the way back." Find out the first train for Tavistock in the morning, and wire the George Hotel to have a car waiting. Why not go out tonight? suggested the other. There is the midnight train. It is rather slow, but it will get you there by six or seven in the morning. Too late, he said, unless you can invent a method of getting from here to Paddington in about fifty seconds. The morning journey to Devonshire was a dispiriting one, despite the fineness of the day. T.X. had an uncomfortable sense that something distressing had happened. The run across the moor in the fresh spring air revived him a little. As they spun down to the valley of the Dart, Mansus touched his arm. Look at that, he said, and pointed to the blue heavens, where, a mile above their heads, a white-winged aeroplane, looking no larger than a very distant dragonfly, shimmered in the sunlight. By Jove, said T.X., what an excellent way for a man to escape. It's about the only way, said Mansus. The significance of the aeroplane was borne upon T.X. a few minutes later, when he was held up by an armed guard. A glance at his card was enough to pass him. "'What is the matter?' he asked. "'A prisoner has escaped,' said the sentry. "'Escaped? By aeroplane?' asked T.X. "'I don't know anything about aeroplanes, sir. All I know is that one of the working party got away.' The car came to the gates of the prison, and T.X. sprang out, followed by his assistant. He had no difficulty in finding the governor, a greatly perturbed man, for an escape is a very serious matter. The official was inclined to be brusque in his manner, but again the magic card produced a soothing effect. "'I'm rather rattled,' said the governor. "'One of my men has got away. I suppose you know that.' "'And I'm afraid another of your men is going away, sir,' said T.X., who had curious reverence for military authority. He produced his paper and laid it out on the governor's table. This is an order for the release of John Lexman, convicted under sentence of fifteen years' penal servitude. The governor looked at it. Dated last night, he said, and breathed a sigh of relief. Thank the Lord, that is the man who escaped. End of chapter 7 Recording by Jason Oakley, Brisbane, Australia, 
www.bangrocks.com.